and welcome back to the podcast. I'm producer Ash, and this is true. There were many ways that enslaved people sought freedom in the antebellum South, all of them extremely dangerous. Runaways mostly traveled by land on foot. They would take a horse or a wagon if they were lucky enough to have such resources. A very lucky few had assistants, drivers who would conceal them in false compartments in wagons, cars, or boats, churches or homesteads that would offer an attic or a barn or a cellar, sometimes offering food and supplies along the way. Each and every escape attempt took unbelievable courage, spurred on, no doubt, by pure desperation. But then there are the next-level escape stories. One of the most impressive was that of Henry Brown, later referred to as Henry Box Brown. In 1816, Henry Brown was born into slavery in Virginia. He reported his childhood was as pleasant as it could be, considering the condition. Then, the farmer who owned his family passed away, so Henry was given to the master's son, who sent him to work in his tobacco factory in Richmond. He married Nancy, a woman from a nearby plantation, and they started a family. The tobacco factory overseer wasn't a joy to deal with, but he said that he never experienced any physical violence, and Henry lived a more charmed existence than many other enslaved people of the time. Yet still, Brown was not content to be a slave. They robbed me of myself, he later wrote. And things only got worse when his slaveholder became intent on selling Henry's pregnant wife and three children. He had blackmailed Henry into paying large sums of money in order to prevent the inevitable. But finally, his family was taken from him and sold off to North Carolina. With this final injustice, Brown decided to escape. Brown recalls, My agony was now complete, she with whom I had traveled the journey of life in chains, and the dear little pledges God had given us, I could see plainly, must now be separated from me forever, and I must continue, desolate and alone, to drag my chains through the world. The plan that he came up with was sensational, like something from a screenplay. According to his own account, he was praying to God for guidance when he heard the words, Go and get a box and put yourself in it. An idea flashed in his mind, quote, of shutting myself up in a box and getting myself conveyed as dry goods to a free state. The late 1840s were a pivotal era for the Postal Service. In 1847, the first postage stamp was issued, allowing senders to pay postage up front rather than having recipients pay on delivery. And this new system offered both sides a newfound anonymity. Between 1845 and 1850, the volume of mail that had traveled in the service had increased 66%. The Postal Service was also becoming an information highway, spreading progressive ideas and illustrating to enslaved peoples how different life could be in a free state. Abolitionists flooded southern states with anti-slavery writings and provided connections between disparate communities. Early on, enslaved people were often used to deliver mail and parcels, but the southern states realized the destructive power inherent therein, and Congress soon banned the practice. But there's always another way. Abolitionists began using private delivery companies to do their work. One, in particular at the time, the Adams Express Company, had made a name for itself for its reliability, speed, and privacy. 
This was perfect for Henry's escape plan. He then solicited the help of a fellow church choir member, a free black man, as well as a sympathetic white shoemaker, into aiding his passage to friends and freedom in Philadelphia. A carpenter was commissioned to make a box, a wooden rectangle about three feet by two feet wide and two and a half feet high, with just three small holes for air. And on the morning of March 29, 1849, Brown folded himself up into the box along with an awl, in case he needed more air holes, and a small flask of water. His assistants nailed the box shut, marked this side up with care, and brought the precious cargo to the Adams Express Company. One account reads, quote, the box was jostled this way and that until he was bumping along heels up in a wagon to the train depot. Then the crate was shoved into a baggage car where Brown fell on his side before being pushed head down again aboard the steamer to Philadelphia. Brown himself recalls, quote, I felt my eyes swelling as though they would burst from their sockets and the veins on my temples were dreadfully distended with the pressure of blood upon my head. I felt a cold sweat coming over me that seemed to be warning that death was about to terminate my earthly misery. Despite this trouble, 27 hours and 350 miles later, the box finally arrived at the Philadelphia home of William Johnson, a Philadelphia barber and collaborator with the Underground Railroad. Unsure if the box's occupant had survived the arduous journey, Johnson knocked softly on the box and said, All right? All right, sir, came the reply. After emerging from the box a free man, Brown burst into singing Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Brown moved to Massachusetts, and in no time at all, his story became a true sensation, and he was given the nickname Henry Box Brown. Not only a free man, he was now a folk hero as well as a wanted fugitive. With the help of abolitionist ghostwriters, he penned his experience into book form, which he then took on tour to speak publicly and perform elaborate recreations of his story on the stage. Interestingly, as a child growing up on the plantation, Henry learned how to do magic tricks from another enslaved man, and he incorporated these skills into his show. Daring escapes, sleight of hand, hypnotism, and he leaned heavily into that theme of the box. He would burst forth from one as part of his performance. He made watches and handkerchiefs appear and disappear with a mirrored box as a medium. The traveling entertainer was finally forced to leave America just a year later, in 1850, when the Fugitive Slave Act was passed. Bounty hunters were after escaped slaves, and Henry, being such a vocal showman about his own escape, made him a high target. He moved to England and continued with his tours, often performing alongside other previously enslaved men and women. What about his family back at home? Henry's 1849 narrative was published with the intention to raise funds so that Brown could then purchase freedom for his wife and children. But now, in England, in a new life, Brown had remarried, and historical records don't indicate for sure whether he was ever successful in freeing his family in North Carolina. Meanwhile, back in the South, Samuel Alexander Smith, one of the men who helped ship Brown, had been caught attempting to ship more enslaved people. He was sentenced to six years in prison. Not long after, a free black man was arrested for trying to do the same. 
It's unknown if anyone else ever successfully made the voyage to freedom by mail. It would be another decade before legislative measures were initiated to free all Black Americans, a long and arduous process that was succeeded by the Reconstruction Era, the KKK, segregation, and so on and so forth to this day as America continues the hard path towards true racial equality. My sources for this episode were The Washington Post, National Geographic, and the University of North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.